May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I take comfort in the knowledge that I'm an all-around good guy. Sure, I have my vices, and God knows I'm not perfect. But I'm pretty content with the fact that I am a decent human being. I go to church. I give money to charity. I don't hate anyone. And I'm not actively out to oppress anyone. I certainly would never go so far as to kill others in cold blood because they practice a different religion or have a different skin color. You see, all the problems in the world don't start with me, a good and decent person. They're the fault of everyone else. In fact, the world would be a better place if everyone thought like me, if everyone acted like me, if everyone supported the same causes and political party as me. I mean, I'm not perfect. I have my vices. But at least I'm not hateful and judgmental like other people. You know the people I'm talking about. Those people. They. Them. They deserve everything that's coming to them. The world would be a better place if they would stop doing what they are doing, if they would just shut up, if they simply disappeared. They are the worst, those people. They're not like me. I'm a good and decent person. Now, I would like to think that this bit of theater here is a bit of an exaggeration in order to make a point about what seems to be a default setting in our culture. We are witnessing an increasing polarity between different political ideologies and a refusal to engage with people who hold ideas different than one's own. So this introduction might not be as exaggerated as we might like to think it is. In last week's sermon, you will recall, I reflected on how there seems to be a dangerous increase in those who seek to pass judgment in the name of justice without any consideration for mercy or forgiveness. And I want to reiterate that point today as we continue our Lenten journey to the cross by turning our attention this morning to the doctrine of the atonement. Now we all know there's something wrong in the world. The news confirms this every night for us. Conflict, war, starvation, poverty, and a litany of other problems. But we also know that something's not right in the world in our own lives. We face financial difficulties, uncertainty about the future, estrangement from our friends and family members, an unexpected illness or death. The list could go on. We all know that there's something not right with the world. Now, the Christian tradition has called this problem sin. Author G.K. Chesterton once remarked that sin is the only part of Christian theology which can be really be proved empirically. By this, Chesterton means that everywhere we look, we know that all is not right in the world. The original goodness that God created has gone awry. Now, sin has been described and defined in many different ways throughout Christian history, and I'm not going to rehearse them this morning. But I do want to draw your attention to the literal meaning of the Greek word that we translate in English as sin. It literally means missing the mark. Sin is, at its root, missing the mark of God's call to love him above all else, missing the mark to love our neighbor 
as ourself. So what I want to do this morning is to focus on the effects of missing the mark. What does it mean to not love God above all else and to love our neighbors ourselves? What happens when we fail to do this? And also I want to emphasize how these effects of sin are reversed in and through Jesus' atonement on the cross. So one of the effects of sin is always a rupture in relationship. You see, sin effectively separates us from God and separates us from our neighbor. It creates a breach. We are separated from God and we are separated from our neighbor. And the difficult thing is that so separated, loving God and loving our neighbor becomes both increasingly more necessary and increasingly more impossible at the same time. This is the effect of sin. It creates a wedge and makes that call to love God and to love others all the more difficult and all the more necessary. Now it's important at this point to stress that sin doesn't alter God's attitude toward us. Rather, sin alters our attitude toward God. In other words, God doesn't stop loving us even though we sin. Rather, sin prevents us from seeing, acknowledging, and accepting God's love for us. Sin creates a rupture or a breach in our relationship with God that inhibits our ability to recognize and receive his love. Nevertheless, as St. Paul writes in Romans, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As one theologian once wrote, rather than recognize and receive God's love, we would rather justify and excuse ourselves and look upon our self-flattering images of ourselves than to be taken out of ourselves by the infinite love of God. I'm a good, moral, decent person. Why do we like to do this? Well, I think it's because contrition is a form of self-knowledge. That when we seek forgiveness, we come to the terribly painful business of seeing ourselves as what and who we really are. How mean and selfish and cruel and indifferent and infantile we can be. Self-righteous self-justification is much easier than confessing my sin, than confessing my, ref my refusal to love God and to love my neighbor. It's much easier to point the finger at others and pass judgment on them. It's much more satisfying to do this than it is to walk a path of humble contrition, acknowledging that I am part of the brokenness of the world. You see, the result of self-righteous justification and blame-pointing, finger-pointing, is always separation and disconnection from others, a rupture and a breach in relationship. And maybe this is why we are so quick to point the finger. Because when I point the finger, it excuses me from having to be in relationship with the person I'm pointing at. Them. They. They don't deserve it. They are the worst. They have no part in receiving my love. Think of it this way. Tolerance, inclusion, and non-judgmentalism are probably the three most cherished values of modern Western culture. However, it seems as much as these terms are bandied about, they are actually nothing more than a sorting mechanism to determine who is with us and who is part of them. 
Because if you are not as tolerant, as inclusive, and as non-judgmental as me, then you are part of them. If you are not with us, you're against us. If you're not with us, you're one of them. And if you are one of them, you do not deserve to be loved and included with us. Because we know better. Indeed, it seems that people who most pride themselves on being the most inclusive, most loving, most tolerant, most non-judgmental people often become highly judgmental themselves, especially toward those who disagree with them. And what is the result? It is the effects of sin, again. A further polarization, a further separation, a further breach in which people are to divide it into those groups of us and them. As you will recall from my introduction, they are the worst sort of people. We don't like them. We don't love them. We are ruptured and separated from them. Now perhaps the answer to this problem in our relationships is found in love. After all, the Beatles reminded us that all we need is love. And St. Peter himself pointed out, love covers a multitude of sins. But what if I don't feel like loving others? What about loving the unlovable, the awful, the undeserving, the perpetrators of hatred and violence? Surely I don't have to love them, do I? What about loving my enemy? What about loving them? What about loving myself? Many of us struggle to love ourselves and to see ourselves as deserving of love. But if I can't love myself, how can I love my neighbor? If I cannot love my neighbor, how can I love myself? Who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus says your neighbor is everyone who is not you. If we cannot extend love to all, then love is not all we need. What we need is not less judgment, but less finger-pointing judgmentalism that seeks to separate us from them. What we need is a judgment that speaks the truth in love, a judgment that tells us exactly what the problem is and enacts the solution. A judgment that results not in more separation, but rather a judgment that always seeks and results in unity. What we need is the love and judgment of God. A loving judgment that is most clearly exemplified and embodied on the cross. A love that says to us, you are all equally lost, you are all equally messed up, and none of you has it all together. But I refuse to allow any of this to prevent me from loving you. I refuse to allow sin to separate you from me. What we need is the kind of love that does not point accusatory fingers, but the love that, as St. Paul puts it, became sin for us. You see, it is in the cross of Jesus Christ that God demonstrates his love for us, miserable and unlovable as we often are. After all, it was we who put God on the cross in the attempt to rid ourselves of God so that we could continue in our self-righteous ways. But it is through the cross that God executes his judgment against all that separates him from us and from each other. God says, no, this will not be, because I will allow nothing to separate me from those whom I love. You see, the cross demonstrates the lengths to which God will go to become one with, to reunite with, to reconcile himself to humanity. The scandalous message of the cross 
is that God thinks no less of humanity, even though we were the ones who put him on the cross. The whole point of the cross is to make atonement for sin. Atonement. Think of the word and spell it out. A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. At one meant. This is what atonement is about. About taking that breach and repairing it. About taking that separation and division and bridging them with himself. God does not stand on high, pointing an accusatory divine finger, shaking it at us. God does not need to be persuaded to forgive us. God does not need to be convinced that we are lovable. As Herbert McCabe once wrote, Never be deluded into thinking that if you are sorry for your sins, that God will come and forgive you, that he will somehow be touched by your appeal and change his mind about you and forgive you. Not a bit of it. Because God never changes his mind about you. God is simply in love with you. What he does again and again is change your mind about him. That is why you're sorry. That is what your forgiveness is. You are not forgiven because you confess your sin. You do not come to confession to have your sins forgiven. Rather, you come to celebrate that you are forgiven. In our rush to appoint accusatory fingers to assign blame, we often miss the scandalous grace of the cross, that God extends his grace and mercy to all people, even to those whom we deem to be the most unlovable, the most undeserving, they, them. One of the questions the cross asks us is this, do you get to determine who is worthy of love and grace? The answer is, of course not. It is only God who gets to determine this. And it is in Jesus Christ that we see that all are worthy of God's love and grace. Do you believe it? Will you recognize and receive God's love? Will you allow God to change your mind about him? Will you open yourself to God's invitation to be reunited with him? My sisters and brothers in Christ, in a world where too many fingers are pointed and where blame is quickly assigned, in a world where difference of opinion is used as a wedge to divide, may we, the parish family of St. James, always find our unity not in agreement, but in in our baptism into the death and resurrected life of Jesus Christ, in our fellowship at Christ's own table when we feel tempted to use our disagreements or our theological differences as a reason to separate and remove ourselves, to walk away from fellowship, may we rather instead always strive to walk with each other more closely and more deeply, even as we disagree and differ. May we always seek to be in oneness with God as God seeks to be in oneness with us. May we always seek to be in oneness with each other And in so doing, may we embody the way of reconciled peace and love through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.